Welcome to Smart Businesses Do This. Today, we're going to be talking about the best way to attract customers as we move into 2023. And this episode of the show is brought to you by Upsells.com, a done-for-you solution for offer creation, email marketing, and sales, where you pay a flat rate and no commission. Now, I am joined by some incredible entrepreneurs today. If you wouldn't uh, mind taking a moment and introduce yourself to my wonderful panelists. Absolutely. I'm Ashley Herrera. I'm the owner of Mighty Hope Properties. I do new construction in San Angelo and Abilene, Texas. Hi, my name is Deborah Whitby. I own Austin Plumbery, uh, residential plumbing services in Austin, Texas. Hi, I'm Kyle Logue. I'm the owner of We Buy Sad Houses, and uh, we focus on wholesaling houses. Hi, I'm Dr. Dave Cahotis, and I own Un The Unbreakable Man, where we transform men's lives in three days. So an incredible panel. Each one of you comes from different sort of like backgrounds, different you know, entrepreneurial backgrounds, but you're going to have the same problem that every single company has across America, which is how do we find customers? You are listening to Smart Businesses Do This, the podcast show for freelancers, side hustlers, and upcoming small business owners who want to transform their current business or business idea into a company that is built to succeed, simple to run, and gives you the freedom to live your life on your own terms. I'm your host, Adam Lyons. Let's get started. Now, I always tell people, no matter how good you are at what you do, if you have customers coming you know, out of everywhere, out of the woodwork, signing up for what you've got, um, it gets that much easier to make money. And you will, over time, be able to perfect the product. We love the idea that a good product is what drives customers, but there are far too many business owners out there with an incredible product that would probably change the world that no one knows about. So with that being said, going in reverse order, what would you say is like your, your number one tip to find customers in 2023? The number one tip I would say, you know, from my perspective is, is know exactly who you are speaking to psychologically, you know, really niche down into the individual of, of what is the, what is the individual that you're actually trying to get to and psychologically, what are they going through? Because if you know what they're going through with their, their pain points, their, the things that they're looking for, then you know the types of magazines they read, the types of podcasts they listen to, the types of masterminds they might be a part of. Uh, and so then you can actually reach out to those individuals and whether you want to do paid ads or uh, collaborate and you know do some type of other mastermind, you can attract those types of individuals. How are you finding that information? Like how are you being able to work out exactly what they're going through or what they're dealing with? Yeah, I mean, I have a background in psychology, so like I kind of <laughs> already have that. You but, just know it. Yeah, just kind of <laughs> know it. But it, it, you know, and, and for my market specifically, so our market is is ambitious businessmen, right? So I already being one of those. I kind of did some insights into the self and identified, okay, well, you know, the areas of shame and guilt and struggle might be around providership, might be around the idea that I'm not worthy, that might be around the idea that I have to do more, be more, that I'm not, you know, like appreciated by my feminine partner, right? So like, I kind of knew the insights of that individual kind of going into it. But if, if you are looking for it and you don't know that kind of market, one of the easiest things to do is literally go to that market. Like literally just like, if you want to work with women, go ask them, Hey, what are you struggling with? And like, not like, you know, your customer specifically, but just like ask people that you might want to work with. And then they'll give you insights of like, you know, Hey man, like I've been struggling with this or doing this, uh, whether it's a product base or, you know, or a product or a service based company. So I love that. One of the things I like doing along those kind of lines is finding an event 
that draws like-minded people together already, yes. whether it's a convention, an exhibition, or even just like a meetup. And then when you go there, you know you've got this group. And I'll often go around and try and find a whole bunch of them to come to dinner with me. And then at the dinner, I'll be like, all right, what's your favorite podcast? Where's your favorite blogs that you guys hang out? And I'll, I'll literally just make a list of all the things. I'm like, all right, these are the places I want to go. And I love that you mentioned ad spend. I, I hate paid advertising. It's like the, I, I literally, I think I've spent more money wasted on paid advertising yes. than most Americans make in a lifetime, just to put that in perspective of how much I've wasted. But what I love is paid promotional opportunities on platforms that have already curated the audience. So if you know there's a podcast you really want to appear on, like I have a buddy, he's one of the top 100 podcasts of all time. And to pay to get advertising to the kind of people on that podcast would cost hundreds of thousands of dollars, yes. but you can sponsor an ep episode for 20 grand. Yeah. And suddenly it's like, man, if I really wanted to be on that podcast, I could just pay 20 grand and say to him, hey, the one thing I want along with the advertising is to be in that episode. And, and it's, you know, five times cheaper than paying for advertising. So yeah, that's one of my favorite ways. So I love that suggestion. Yeah. It's really, really strong. Okay, uh, same question. Uh, best way to find customers in 2023? Yeah, so it's really been working well for me. I'm always testing and trying new things, uh, but I've been doing a lot of SMS marketing, so text message marketing. And what I found was first, I was just kind of blasting out to a lot of people. If you already have a list, I think the best place to start is your old customers, your dead leads. Uh, I think that's really the best place to find customers. But what I started doing was I started, I set up automations. So I have the SMS, it'll go out one day. Then right after that, it's a ringless voicemail drops, which is a voicemail message. It just shows right up right after. Then I repeated it. So then it goes the next day, same thing. Then it takes a break and you can keep repeating it. So I do it about over seven days. I mean, on the seventh day, it's kind of like a final one. Like, hey, I haven't been able to touch you. Um, and I'm doing this with cold people. I'm doing this with dead leads and it's working really well. I mean, I'm finding even sometimes on like the last message, you're like, oh no, I've just been busy. Or, you know, like, oh no, I do actually want to sell my house or, you know, actually I have been thinking about this. And then I kind of figured they'd be annoyed, but it's, it's been working really well. So let's just get this. So you've got an automation system where you send an SMS, then a direct to voicemail. Right. And you alter one a day every day. Um, so it's back to back. So it's back to back. So, 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 week. so it's, it's, so I do the voicemail drop and then right after the text. Wow. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. What, uh, what service are you using to do? So I built up my own campaign on go high level. So I just, yeah, it's kind of built up the automation on there. That's brilliant. All right. So yeah, I mean, that's a great strategy. How are you initially getting the phone numbers? So I do skip tracing. So I'll pull lists or I'll get lists from different places or I'll pull lists from the County. Um, then I'll, I'll send them to a skip tracing service. One I use is called batch skip. Batch skip? Yeah, batchskip.com. And it's it's like 15 cents or so. And there's, there's some other ones out there too. But they'll just send you a CSV file. And it'll have all the numbers in there and you just put it in and then it's good to go. Oh, that's awesome. All right. So, I mean, what I love about this is this is what I would call a tactical strategy. So in business, you've got strategies and tactics. Strategies are things that would work any period of time in the history of mankind. So I like to imagine if I got teleported back to ancient Rome, my business strategies would work. Like I could literally find a group of people using your concept that will have the same kind of uh, grievances. And then I could use that to identify where they will hang out. And then I could do my marketing based on that. Batch skip probably wouldn't work in Roman times unless you were going to invent it and technology. Um, so that becomes a tactic. But tactics are one of those things that they only last for a period of time, but they're far more financial if you use them at the right moment. So what's great about this, you know, for everybody listening and, and you know, for the people that are here in the live audience, I would do that like right now because who knows how long that's gonna last, but you should do it while you can. That's great. Very, very, 
Very useful. What do you find in the conversion rate of that? Like how many people are you reaching out to just to get some numbers? So for the skip tracing, like getting the correct info? Yeah. Um, so it's hit or miss. And I've tried a few different services. So it is really hard. I do have a VA for like ones that I think are better to really, he'll go and do some, some internet research and try to find their data. Um, but I'd say it's probably like 60 to 70% accurate with the data. So there are a lot who fall through the cracks and we'll go back and try to do more research and find those numbers after. I love that. That's great. Okay. Next up, same question. What do you think best way to find uh, you know new customers in 2023? I mean, own a plumbing company and everyone's going to need you. So I think to piggyback on what you're saying about strategy and tactic, I think that early on we invested in the strategy, which was branding, kind of what you were to echo what you were saying, because a plumber's a plumber's a plumber. At the end of the day, some people just like, can you fix the toilet or not? We don't care that you're Roman owned. We don't care that, you know, whatever, right? It's like, just fix the problem. So in that case, our branding became very important beyond the logo and the color, but just our messaging, who we stood for. So I would say it's taking the time to really fine tune what your messaging is, who you're speaking to, all those things, how you're standing out in the market. And then the, like the actual tactic, like now our branding like I can recreate email campaigns like in five minutes because of our, our like our branding's already complete. And so then using our branding, we it's easy to get referrals. So like a referral is like our biggest repeat customers is like where we really shine. And we do that with by putting like when we go into a home, we go to the neighboring homes and we say we leave a little, you know, door hanger that says, hey, we we visited your neighbor. We worked on your neighbor if you ever need us. So now we've built trust because they're like, oh, well, someone we know has already hired them you know, so it's establishing trust through referral networks and then, you know, putting signs. That's very practical things, just putting signs out because it's like, it's just, they, most people hire the devil they know basically. And so it's just awareness. It's just brand awareness has been our biggest way we get new customers. So I love that because when it comes to marketing, there's really two methods. There's branding and direct marketing, right? Uh -huh. Direct marketing is I'm going to do a cold reach out and then I'm going to get my responses. Branding is something you typically only seen done by companies like Coca-Cola or Apple, these sort of like big plays. But you're saying as a small compared to Nike, a plumbing company, yeah. the branding play is working for you because there's a need for what you do. Yeah, there's a need for what we do. And then people need to, we need to be memorable. So they can, you know, there's seven impressions or whatever. So it's like, we just need to be constantly out there. And I think that's the last piece of it is just constantly talking about what you do. Everywhere you go, this is what we do. And then when I say I'm the woman, only woman owned, that's part of our messaging or we're family first or we're Austin first, like all the things that we've gone through that discovery process, they're not going to remember my name, but they will remember, well, I don't know, there was like a woman owned plumbing company. Let me look that up, you know? So getting those little nuggets and just constantly constantly like repeating your messaging. I love yeah. that. Have you found that your clientele is more women or more men based on the woman owned? Oh, hundred percent women. And that's because women are in the home 80% of the time when we go like that they're the stay at home moms or just the, the you know, the, whatever that. Yeah. So our target is towards women. That's brilliant. Mm -hmm. Strong angle as well. I love that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Go for it. Um, Ashley. So same question. Best way to find customers 2023. Yeah, so I'm going to start with the basics. Honestly, before I got into the construction business, I was doing mortgages and I was actually on the operating side of loans. So I didn't know you had to be a salesperson when you're a mortgage loan officer and actually go find sales. So whenever I started, I did what I knew, which was jumping on Facebook, letting people know what I was doing 
and educating. Whenever you are your authentic selves, showing other people that I am human, I am like you, I have needs like you do, but I offer this product that is going to help provide security, provide a home over your head, whatever it is to get you that loan. Now, what I did was, because I didn't have any money, I went into groups to where there was people looking at homes. Um, so there's a lot of different types of groups where there's maybe a real estate group where they're selling a home. A lot of realtors, they go out and post those homes for sale. And I would go and post on to that group and say, hey, I can help with the financing. Reach out to me. This is what I work with. And at that time, my niche product was working with lower credit score borrowers and it worked. And then from there, I would just educate, put information out uh, to be able to let people know different scenarios that they could possibly run into when purchasing a home. And so again, the consistency, piggybacking on that, consistency was one of the biggest things that was able to help me finally make some money. So I, I love that, right? So um, for us, I think our best method of acquiring customers, we've kept a secret for years, but I'll, I'll share with you guys for everyone here that's listening. Our favorite way to acquire customers is to take the customers from our competitors that they think don't want to buy anymore. And that's been our number one. So you can think of it this way. People communicate about their mailing list. And when the people on the mailing list aren't buying, they'll say, oh, it's a dead list. No one there wants to buy anymore. And I'll always be like, oh, yep, you, not one person that listens bought anything off Amazon this week. No one. They are done. They're like, I'm done with buying. I'm never buying again. No, they just don't want to buy from you. It sucks, but no one likes you. But that doesn't mean they don't like anybody else. But somebody has paid money to acquire that mailing list, right? So one of my competitors, he had 115,000 people on the mailing list the day that he decided he just didn't want to do it anymore. He, he didn't even sell the business. He was like, I'm just done. And so I contacted him and said, what would you charge me to take the customers, to just send some emails to them? You know, and, uh, and obviously for legal reasons, he had to be the one to send the emails. So I wrote a whole bunch of emails. I got a quote from him, which I'll tell you about in a second. And, uh, and he sent the emails and sent them all to me. And sure, they weren't buying from him, but I was a new person and they all came across and, and we gained a whole bunch of sales and still make sales from that list to this day. So uh, if you guys had to guess the cost to acquire 115,000 leads, what do you think that would cost? I think because he gave up, I would say like 500 bucks. <laughs> it wasn't that good. It was good. It wasn't that good. What would I sell it for? Yeah. 115,000 qualified targeted leads. I'm saying 750. I'd probably charge 750. $750 or 750,000. Yeah, there we yeah. go. 750,000. That sounds about right. Targeted. Yeah. Is how much to sell or how much you paid? How much did I pay? Something like a grand. A grand? Yeah. I love that. It's like from 750000 to a 1000 I think it's by context, you know, but, you know, I, I think a dollar a lead. Dollar you know, a lead? Yeah. Yeah, $115,000. I think that's what most people would have guessed. Yeah. We paid $5,000 total for the for the whole thing. Yeah. So it was, a, it was a complete bargain because when somebody's mentally checked out of their business, and for plumbing specifically, I know this is a fact because plumbers don't build their business to sell. They build it to a certain point and they end up with a book of clients who they'll usually hand over to some new apprentice who doesn't know what they're doing and it collapses. And it's actually very easy to buy an old plumber's or, or a retiring plumber's mailing list because they're like, yeah, I just don't want to do it anymore. But the people still live in their houses and still need plumbing. And it's a great way. Also, and this is something I always talk about, a bad plumber also has a mailing list of good customers. <laughs> And you can reach out to plumbers. Like, for example, if, if I was 
if I was doing your marketing, um, I would say, hey, why don't we reach out to every plumber in town and say, is there a chance that you have women on your mailing lists that either have worked with you in the past and won't work with you again because you're male-led or that would be interested in having a woman plumber. Now, I know that you may think of me as a competitor, but I would be happy to pay you, not just to be able to communicate, but every time that person hires me for plumbing. You don't have to do any of the work, I'll do it all. I'll tag them as your client, and every time we do work for them, we'll send you a fee to say thank you. And again, you'll probably have nine out of every 10 plumbers will tell you where to go, and the last one's gonna be like, yeah, you got it. And now you've got access to their, to their mailing list. And if you've got a deal like that going with them, when they eventually retire, they're just going to say, yeah, it's good. Thank you. You know, that's a great way of doing it. So here's what I'd like to hear from you guys. Have you ever found yourself in a position where you really needed to make sales, but did not have a customer to reach out to or, or didn't have sales coming in? And what did you do? So we're talking, this is desperate scenario. You really want to buy a brand new car and you don't have the money for it but you really, really want the expensive one. And you're like, okay, I've got to find a client. How did you go about it? Or if you've been in that situation, how did you go about it? So I was lucky because I was a processor before I knew other loan officers. So in that case, what I would do is kind of what you said, go through their pipeline and or ask, of course, <laughs> hey, do you have any clients that I could possibly look at their database and I can go back and refinance them? You already helped them with the purchase. Now there's possibly a scenario that they need to refinance or they need cash out on their property. So, so that's you, what I did. So you're like reaching out to somebody who's already bought something before and selling them something else, yeah. almost like an upsell. The show is sponsored by upsells.com. I just want to remind that's everybody. Great. No, I'm joking, but That's good. <laughs> I've never thought of it that way, but yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, we've often found that whenever you need to generate revenue in a company, one of the fastest ways today is to develop an upsell, to just think, okay, whoever bought this, what else do they normally want? And the company that knows this best, of course, is Amazon, because Amazon is so good at saying like, customers who bought this also bought this. I hope you're not lame enough to try and buy this without buying this, because these guys all did it. And you're like, oh yeah, we should probably do that. Um, so yeah, so upselling is a great way of doing it. How about the rest of you guys? Any, any of you ever found yourself in that situation where you're like, oh, I really need to make sale and I don't know how to find a customer and then suddenly you found it? Yeah, I think when I first started, um, I had $500 in the bank and no branding. And I always thought, even if I had the most amazing branding, again, it's Tuesday. Nobody knows we exist, you know? So what I did was I started, and I don't, I don't know how to translate this across industries, but we went to home warranty companies that already had customers as like their homeowners. So if you're a homeowner, you might buy a home warranty policy. So if your garbage disposal messes up, you call your insurance company and they dispatch a plumber or they dispatch an AC. So so the insurance company is getting you as the customer and then I'm becoming a vendor for the insurance company. Yep. So I don't know a more concise way to say like find the companies that are aligned with what you're doing that are already getting the customer, let them get the customer. And then you come in the back door as a vendor, as a partner, an affiliate marketer, something like that. And then, you know, and we we didn't get paid a lot. It was like $55 a call. And I was like, okay, we're, we're going to go broke. <laughs> er, no. Um, so it's you know, it was a sacrifice in the beginning. And then, but the point is we were getting in homes, which was the goal. So I don't know how to, to say that. No, then that's perfect. Yeah. You found companies with alignment yeah. on customers yeah. and then paid to be able to. Yeah. And then on the upsell piece, like now where we are, where we have existing customers, but we still, you know, need it's, it's, you sell more, you sell it for more. Um, so it's same thing. It's when we're up, we're in there. What's the next upsell? Like, oh, well maybe they want a bidet 
you know, type toilet, or maybe they want a maintenance agreement. So it's kind of getting creative on what you can offer once you already have the customer. Or, oh no, their pipes are broken again. I wonder how that happened. John, put the shovel. No, I'm joking. <laughs> it's everyone's fear, isn't it? That like the plumbers go around the outside of the house and damage the pipes. Oh no, what happened? <laughs> There's a hamster in your pipes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, for me, yeah, I've been there a few times in my entrepreneurial career where, you know, it's desperate, bills are due, you know, um, leads aren't coming in for some reason or another, maybe the paid marketing channel, you know, stop, you know, delivering the leads or, you know, a number of different reasons, unexpected expenses. But for me, it's working those old lists, working those old leads. And, you know, if I didn't have the money at the time, which a lot of times I didn't when I'm in that desperate state, I just pick up the phone and just try to get in front of customers as many as I can, you know, talk to them. And, you know, especially even the older ones that you know, I thought were dead, you know, a lot of times, you know, they, they come back around and you're able to turn them into a customer and get some revenue on the board. I love that. Absolutely great. Uh, yeah. They yeah. So my company is honestly, the Unbreakable Man is about five months old. And when we first started, we had no leads, but I had a lot of social credit relative to the amount of work that I've been able to do for other people. And, and so uh, we got involved with a, a guy that is pretty big in the roofing industry. And the roofing industry is 99% men as far as, you know, owners of uh, that industry. And he was so blown away by what I was able to provide him that he was like, I need to tell everybody. And so, you know, that said, you know, if you are struggling to, to find people, do something of value for somebody else, even if it's free, and you know that that person might be a, a linchpin to a network of individuals that is your target market, just blow their socks off. You know, like if you are in a pressure washing industry, right, as an example, and you do, you know, you pressure wash people's homes, go to the wealthiest person, you know, pressure wash your home for free, blow their socks off. And then, hey, say, if you think that this is something of value, will you share this with somebody else? That's the way we started, to be honest. And, you know, since then, you know, sales have been taking off, but it was, it was honestly the way we started. I love that. I think uh, one of my favorite stories, I had a, a client reach out to me out of nowhere and he paid for one month of business consulting and he came out of nowhere. Normally we know if someone's going to sign up, but this guy just like paid and we're like, who are you? And he goes, I clean cars for a rental car company. And I was like, okay. And he's like, and I want to start a business. Go. You know, that was it. I was like, this is, first of all, this is not traditional, but also kind of like that he worked out my price and saved up his money apparently for like 18 months to afford a month. And I was like, I've got, because you can only afford one month, you know, I've got, I got to help this guy. And you got a few options, right? Which is one is, well, do I take the client? Two, do I say no and give him his money back? But, you know, he was like, I want to do this. And so I was like, okay, well, how long does it take you to clean a car? Because you have no customers, no, no business. And he's like, oh, we have to clean a car in 20 minutes. So we have to do three cars in an hour. And I was like, rental cars are clean. Like, that's impressive. I was like, you know, at the time I was driving a Maserati and I was like, it cost me 150 bucks in three hours to get my car detailed to look like a rental car company. And you can do it in 20 minutes. That's impressive. So I said to him, do you know anybody along your lines? Do you know anybody with a, a nice car? He's like, I do. I was like, tell them you're launching a car detailing service, but you would like some example cars to put up on your social media. Can you clean their car for free? And he got two or three people like, sure, you can come and detail my car for free. And he turned up and he took a before picture and an after picture and he did the whole thing. And then of course did it in 20 minutes. So like, wow, that was great. How, how did you do that? And he goes, well, this is my business. Um, what we're going to be doing is charging $100 a month for unlimited car detail. And he's like, so $100 flat fee, we'll come around once a month and clean the car. And if you need it more than that, just give us a heads up. And as long as we have availability, we'll do it again. And so he, all three signed up. So suddenly he's got 300 bucks a month. Now remember, this guy was living on two grand a month. So suddenly he's got 300 bucks a month passive income for cleaning three cars, which is one hour of work in, with the exception of travel. 
So he was like, this is great. And then he said to him, do you know anyone else with a nice car that I could clean their car for free? And they went, yes, absolutely. And so for the cost of doing a single car for free and showing them the before and after, it was almost a 100% hit rate on, yeah, sure, you can do it. And he ended up with 20 cars, got $2,000 a month in passive, in guaranteed recurring income. And I know what you're thinking, how big did the business get? And the answer is no, he still has 20 cars because he only needed two grand a month. And, and that was his business, the end. Uh, but he was very happy because he only had to work, you know, like 10 hours a month or something. And, and I suppose he plays video games the rest of the time. But I, I, I wanted to share that story because I think it's a great example of, you know, you really can, you don't need millions of followers online to get some customers. You can truly just find someone you know should pay you, do a, a good job for free, and then be like, hey, would you like this done more often? So yeah, I think that's great. All right. So one of my favorite questions that I like asking people is in your mind, what do smart businesses do? So we'll go back down the line um, and I'll give you guys a minute to think about it. But, you know, the whole point of the podcast is it's smart businesses do this. And this is a chance for you guys to share like one golden nugget. If you could, you know, share with, with the rest of the world, what's one thing every smart business should do? What would you say smart businesses in, do? In one word, iterate. And that is fail fast, you know, get out there, do something, whatever that thing is, whether it's marketing sales, you're going to fail, you're going to hit your face on the floor. And if you can learn from that and just ask yourself, how can I improve this 1%, you will be successful over time, you'll end up scaling and hiring and all of these things. Uh, but one of my favorite stories is Jeff Bezos when they were first, you know, first starting out Amazon when they had all these boxes and books on the ground. He asked, well, how can I improve this? How, how he asked his team, how can we make this 1% better? And somebody said, can we get tables? And they had folding tables. And that's how they started with just folding tables. And they just constantly asked that. So in one word, iterate. You know, love that. Yeah. And I also love that. How can we make it 1% better? Yeah. Not how can we make this perfect? And I think that's the one that I remember in our company for a very long time, there was this one process we wanted organized. And I kept telling everyone, look, here's how it's done. And I drew it on a whiteboard. And I was like, can you please implement this? And they go, no, we can automate it. And so I was like, okay, cool. And then every couple of months, I'd be like, hey, have we got this process? I'm like, no, we're still automating it. And I was like, okay, because we really need the job done. I'll show you again on a whiteboard how it's done. And so I'd do it on a whiteboard. And after 18 months of my company pushing back because they could not find the right automated solution, I was like, can we please just use the whiteboard? Because it really works. And now we use a whiteboard. And still, to this day, we use a whiteboard. And it's a really simple way of just basically communicating basic data in the office without the need of a phone call. Just we want to look, oh, there's the data. And they had this idea for a screen and software and all this stuff. It's like, just update the whiteboard every morning. It doesn't take long. So yeah, I love that. I love that. Very, very cool. Okay, next up, what do smart businesses do? Yeah, so I would say smart businesses delegate. I think they, you know, as a business owner, especially as you're just starting, it's very easy to, I mean, you have to wear all the hats when you start. So it gets very easy to get stuck in that role. And so I think it's really important to make sure you're, you know, not getting burnt out and you're hiring other people and you're, you're systemizing your stuff. So you can get other people to help you, whether it's through, you know, hiring VAs or hiring employees or, you know, even just using automations to, you know, kind of get some of that workload off you. Love that. Um, I would say doing the boring things well and consistently. So it's like the the basics of business, just get the basics down, get used to doing them all the time. It gets boring. It's not, you know, always glamorous and just do it and just be consistent and like success, <laughs> like just do the things and do them well. Love it. Awesome. 
Um, so I think the baseline of any business has to be your core values. Whenever you have your core values in place, you become that, you attract other people who are in line with your core values. So definitely digging deep on that and really living it. It's going to be also portrayed out to your customers and later down the road, anybody you hire. I love that. So was there a moment, each of you, where you felt like giving up and you were like, I don't think I want to do this anymore. And then, and then how did you address that? How did you deal with it? And what happened next? If you wouldn't mind going first, David. There was a lot of moments that I just completely felt like giving up. Uh, when I first started my company and I had signed on with um, a training facility, I was running a chiropractic facility outside of this and I put a bunch of money into it. And along the short, we had signed a, a contract and the other side of the contract did not fulfill their end. And so I lost a lot of money and I had to go back to my wife and I had to tell her. And it was a very transformative moment because I remember that in that moment, I had my daughter and I had my pregnant wife that at the time she was pregnant. And I had to say, we lost everything and I don't know what to do. You know, I just wanted to completely give up in that moment. But I remember like the next morning going for a walk and I have this, this drive in me, this like this edge where I just need to win. And maybe that's like a sense of like self-doubt that I have to do it, right? A sense of self-worth. But, you know, I've, I've been in the darkest parts of the entrepreneurial life where you lose everything and you feel like you're just skipping on the, on the ground. But then you kind of look up and you realize, oh, there are people that want to support me and I do have something of value and I am giving good services to the world. So the answer is, yeah, you know, like how often does that happen? Uh, now it's it's a lot fewer, far between, you know, we're, we're a lot more successful than we were at the time. The mindset's a lot stronger, but there's definitely those days where when you're an entrepreneur and the mindset kicks in and you think you can't do it, you know, reach out to friends and have have group people around you. That's, that's the antidote to that. Love that. Yeah. Anyone else? Yeah. Yeah. So for me, there's been a lot of moments, just like you said, so many times, you know, it's felt like throwing in towel or quitting or, you know, just not wanting to go. Cause I mean, it's hard. It's not easy being a business owner. I mean, there's lots of ups and downs. And especially if you don't have a community before I didn't, it's like, you don't really feel like you have a lot of people you can talk to, you know, if they're uh, not entrepreneurs, the people around you aren't. Uh, but for me, um, one of the, some of the best advice I got recently was that, you know, the, the roller coaster never stops. In that, you know, it's always ups and downs, no matter what level you're at in the business game or in your life, there's always going to be ups and there's always going to be downs. And you just know, you know, when you're the down, you're going to come back up. So it's something I remind, like, remind myself is, you know, I remind myself of times that, you know, I was at that low point and then right around the corner, a lot closer than I thought every time there was a breakthrough coming. It was, it was better than I could have thought. And a lot of times it didn't happen how I, I thought it would happen, but you know, I just remind myself, hey, I'm, there's a breakthrough coming. You know, it's going to go and I just keep pushing and I make sure I'm feeding myself positivity and really just, you know, get my mindset back on track. Yeah, I think I've reached those moments. It's been not so much because I don't feel like I can, but I just don't want to, frankly. And I think that what I think about is what do I really want? Like what lifestyle do I really want to be able to afford, you know, picking up my kiddo in the middle of the day, you know, having cocktails at noon, you know, whatever, like whatever I want to do. It's it's lifestyle. What kind of experiences do I want to give my son? And I think that it's like, can I get that in my traditional like nine to five where I used to go, you know, should I go back to teaching? That's what I used to do. And and it's it's it quickly reminds me that I need to stay doing what I'm doing. <laughs> So initially, like I spoke about before, whenever I was starting my mortgage business and I didn't have anything and I had just had my child, my first child. And of course, like being a first time mom, I didn't want my son to go to daycare. So I had to do it all. And that that was um, a lot for me because I was learning my business as well. 
you know, getting six months into it and not making any money, it was very stressful. And I felt like I was bringing our family down because I'm also a piece as well as my husband and we have to do this together. And during that time, I didn't have a lot of support from anybody around me. And going right back to what he says is surrounding yourself with other people who are like-minded, who understands the up and downs of entrepreneurship and getting your mindset to know that, hey, I got this grit. I could do this. Um, so entrepreneurship is a wild ride, but it's very rewarding. Yeah, it, it's tough. I, I think they say that entrepreneurs are the only people in the world that will work 80 hours a week so they don't have to work 40. And uh, it's it's a pretty standard thing I think most of us can agree with. I had a, a wonderful conversation with a, a client of mine yesterday where they said, but of course, that's the sacrifice we have to make. And I was like, what do you mean? What sacrifice? And they go, sacrifice. I go, I literally have no idea what you mean. And they go, well, you know, sometimes she's like, I'm torn between do I go to my kid's soccer game or do I have that phone call with that client I really, you know, have to have? And I was like, there's no sacrifice there. You clearly don't want to go to your kid's soccer game because you find it boring. And she laughed and said, you're right, though. How did you know that? I was like, because I would never miss anything for my kid that I didn't want to miss. If I like, there would be a way to move the phone call. There's no way you're really like, oh, this phone call is so important. I'm going to miss the whole soccer game. Step out and take the phone call. Like, no, you didn't want to go to the soccer game. I said, yeah, you, that's right. I didn't. I, I would never voice that. I was like, right, you're worried about being judged. No, the, the thing that I think entrepreneurship gives us is we do have the freedom to not sacrifice. Now, we don't have complete freedom. So as I said, so we can't just sit back on our asses and do nothing, then everything collapses. But entrepreneurship, you work an amount of time, probably not 80 hours, but you work an amount of time so you can take the exact hour off at once. Whereas when you work for somebody else, they get to say to you, you cannot take this hour off. Whereas as entrepreneurs, we can take off any one hour we want, but we also understand that there is a responsibility on us to complete the job. That one hour we took off, so we don't have to sacrifice, means there will be an hour of work that still needs to get done at some point, but we won't be sacrificing. We'll just put it in on something else where we would rather do the work than, than do the other, than the other thing. And I think, you know, something me and my fiance have really moved into recently, and we travel a lot for work. And that comes with what we used to view as a sacrifice of not being around our kids, but we realized it didn't have to be a sacrifice. So now we bring our children with us and we will turn up to very important meetings where people are like, oh, you have your children here. And we say, yes, are you ready? Because the kid's staying. Like there's, that's, we're a family business. That, that kid's going to be here. Like, so we can, they're very well behaved. They have iPads. They'll be great. And when we travel, it gives us a great opportunity. So, you know, we have our mastermind next week. Uh, we do two masterminds a year, uh, which we call the working vacation. And our one's going to be in the Caribbean next week. So we're going to do Puerto Rico, St. Martin, and another location I can't remember. But we're going to do these, these three locations on a cruise ship. And we're bringing two of our five children with us who will get to attend the mastermind and, and have wonderful times, a wonderful experience, while we will also be networking with some of the, the most important business owners that we have. So I think for me, there were moments when I felt like quitting many, 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 many years ago. But now I just remind myself, if I quit, what I would really be quitting is taking my children to the Caribbean, taking my children to San Diego to meet business. That's what I'd be quitting. It's not the money. I could make money. I could become a salesperson and make some cash, probably have more disposable income. But what I would not be able to do is drag my kids to those meetings. That you can only do as an owner. And that freedom, that true freedom for me is why I could not quit.
because this is why I love. So I love that. I want to say thank you ever so much for staying tuned and listening to us here at Smart Businesses Do This. We appreciate you. And uh, if this is the first time that you've ever listened, we welcome you and uh, please feel free to subscribe. If people wanted to hear more about you, where should they go? Always social media. You can find me at, at Team Herrera OG. Instagram backslash Austin Plummery. I'm on social media everywhere as the real Kai Luke. Yeah, on Instagram, you can find me at Dr. Dave Cahotis or theunbreakableman.com. Perfect. Round of applause to these wonderful people. Thanks, guys. Now, if you're new to the podcast and you want to learn more about how to build a smart business, then the absolute best place to start is with my Smart Blueprint ebook. Over 10,000 people have already gone through the book, and it's one of the most comprehensive resources on strategically building and growing your business that you can find anywhere for free. Just visit the smartblueprint.com forward slash ebook to grab a free copy. And I'll see you on the next episode of Smart Businesses Do This.